we'll make a start this morning, and we do welcome you to the adult Bible class. And as we gather together, uh, let us pray, and let us uh, commit our meeting to the Lord, and let us ask for the Lord's help. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we give thee thanks afresh for thy day and thy goodness and thy love toward us. We thank thee, O God, that we can look to thee. And as we come to thy house on thy day, we look to thee for grace, and for thy word, for the power of thy spirit. And Father, as we come to continue our study in thy truth, we pray that thou would teach us and instruct us. And we pray, O God, that uh, this great doctrine that we are considering uh, would be applied to our souls by thy spirit, that thou would be pleased uh, to write it upon our hearts uh, for the glory of thy name. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, thou would bless us, uh, bless us today in thy house, and may thy name be glorified, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Going to commence by turning to the words of Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19, we'll read uh, from uh, Psalm 19, as we did last uh, Lord's Day. This is a psalm entitled to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And we'll break in uh, to this uh, passage at verse number 7. And there the Word of God says, Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Amen. And certainly what we have here is the sufficiency of Scripture the sufficiency of God's law, the sufficiency of his testimony and his statutes and his commandments. These things are pure and they have a great effect, converting the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes. And then if we turn to that familiar passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I think when we consider the doctrine of Scripture. It's the go-to passage for so many things, and uh, certainly this morning uh, we're going to uh, come to it again. Uh, we're going to make mention of a few things within it. I don't know next Lord's Day if we'll return to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, it may not uh, tie in directly with what we want to consider, uh, but certainly it is uh, a great foundation stone for considering and understanding the Word of God. We'll read from verse 15, actually, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his word uh, this morning. 
In our study of the doctrine of Scripture, we've considered the divine origin of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, and these two truths led us directly into the sufficiency of the Word of God. And we emphasize that this is a doctrine that we must not set aside, but rather it is one that we must practice and we must believe, or believe and practice. This doctrine, as we explained, uh, means that Scripture contains all the words of God that He intended His people to have for their salvation, for trusting Him, for obeying Him, for our Christian lives. The Word of God contains everything that we need. Uh, we uh, considered as well the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, which refers to the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, being either expressly set down in Scripture or that it can be deduced from Scripture. And then nothing, whether it's the tradition of man, whether it is a new revelation that man claims to have, none of these things are to be added to Scripture. And certainly we are not to take away from the Word of God. And coming to this important doctrine, we consider two things. Firstly, that it is a biblical doctrine, a biblical doctrine. I want you to turn just quickly back to Luke 16. We didn't read it this morning. We read it last Lord's Day, the end of that chapter. We have the rich man speaking to Abraham. He desires Lazarus to be sent unto him. And Abraham says, the verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. And in that account, we have a very clear teaching from the Savior in this uh, parable, this account of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Word of God is enough. And the existence of the Word of God and the availability of the Word of God uh, to uh, the brethren of the rich man is enough for them to hear the truth, to understand the truth, for that word to be used to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in order for them to avoid the hell the rich man found himself in. So therefore, there was no need for Lazarus to come back from the dead. The Word of God is enough. And dear believer, that is where we stand when it comes to Scripture. God's Word is sufficient. It is enough. It is enough. We can rest sure upon it because we have the testimony of Christ. God's Word is enough. The message in it is sufficient. And then secondly, we consider last Lord's Day that it is a Reformation doctrine. This doctrine was not originated by men, but it was rediscovered and re-emphasized and preached afresh at the time of the Reformation. The words sola scriptura have their roots in this doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Those who penned the Belgic Confession confess that we believe that those holy Scriptures fully contain the will of God, and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. And our own shorter catechism asks the question, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the answer is, the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. In other words, we could say everything that man needs to know, what we need to believe about God 
and then what we are to do with that knowledge. Again, let me emphasize, we ought not to forsake the sufficiency of Scripture. And as we come afresh to continue this study, there are three thoughts this morning for us, or four thoughts this morning for us to consider. Firstly, that it is an instructive doctrine. Then that it is an encouraging doctrine. It is a rejected doctrine. And then it is an abused doctrine. And these four points are really the practical emphasis upon this particular doctrine. And so thirdly, uh, moving on from where we were last week, let us consider that it is an instructive doctrine, an instructive doctrine. We read 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17 together. And those verses, we must always read carefully. There is much within them. And as we have them open, we won't read them again. We might refer to a few things within them. But here we see the great practical implication of the sufficiency of Scripture. In verse 15, we see that salvation is not merely for the adult, but for the child. And the will of God is sufficient for children to be made wise unto salvation. They are given the information to know what salvation is, how to obtain salvation, the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom there is salvation, and that that salvation is obtained through faith. Do you see the importance here of what Paul is implying? The Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul here is giving us something very important. When we consider Scripture, we often think of verse 16 and verse 17, but verse 15 is important also. And this is where it all starts for us, those who are dead in sins. It's the Word of God makes us wise unto salvation. And then in verse 16, verse 17, we have uh, the sanctification of ourselves. Uh, but verse 15 reminds us the importance of bringing the Word of God to our children. The Scriptures are sufficient. The Word of God is being integrated into the various aspects of family life. It is not just a word uh, for Sunday, but it is sufficient to guide us in all things, in our behavior, in our speech, in our communication, in our everyday interactions with friends and family, employers, colleagues, society, government. And it all begins with being made wise unto salvation and receiving Christ through faith and repentance. There is a great sufficiency here. And therefore, let us and not neglect the Word of God. Let us make it central. And let us seek to instruct others, instruct our families, instruct our children the way of God through the Scriptures. And then moving into verse 16, we see the great prophet of Scripture, doctrine, teaching, reproving, correcting. Uh, the Greek word that is translated here, correction, refers to a, a straightening, a straightening. In other words, our views and our lives uh, may be all over the place. Our doctrine, our beliefs uh, may run to many places, but yet the Word of God is to correct those things, to straighten those things out, that we might walk in that which is according to the will and Word of God. And all these things, instruction, have the great purpose of making us perfect or complete men and women of God. Scripture is sufficient and in these things, and it instructs us in these things. 
It is profitable for doctrine. Where do we find our teaching? We find it in Scripture. And Scripture is, as it were, the great source of our doctrine. How do we know about God? How do we know about Christ? It's from Scripture. How do we know the way of salvation? It is through Scripture. How do we know that Christ finished that work for us upon the cross of Calvary? It is Scripture. How do we form our doctrines? It is through Scripture. How do we receive that teaching of the great truths found in the Word of God? Again, it is obviously through Scripture for reproof, for correction. There's to be a conviction here. There's to be that straightening, as we've said. Oh, it is not e- an easy thing to be corrected, to be reproved, to be told we're doing something wrong. But Scripture corrects. It is most necessary, most necessary. And it instructs us in the way of righteousness with that great end that we may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works for our sanctification, that we may live a life that is not only pleasing to God, but a life that testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great blessedness here for the Lord's people, and it's found by being close to the Word of God, realizing it is sufficient for all things, realizing that in your own personal life, for salvation, for sanctification, for your growth with God, Scripture is all that is needed. And of course, we could add to that the exposition of Scripture and the preaching of Scripture, but all these things should be founded solely upon the Word of God. And we can think of this not only in a personal context, but in the context of the church. The Word of God is sufficient for all the teaching and that is taking place within the church of Christ. I've often heard sermons where it seems to be the focus is more on certain modern events, or perhaps it's a biography of a recently uh, deceased uh, celebrity. Uh, Elvis uh, Presley's daughter passed away this week, and, well, I'm sure there are some uh, whose sermons I've heard and come across in the past who would preach a sermon about her life. They would bring out spiritual truths, Uh, but there's a great focus upon her. There's nothing wrong with illustrations to reinforce reinforce and apply biblical truth, but care must be taken that the primary content of a sermon is not a biography of somebody, or it is not focused more upon the events rather than the Word of God. God's Word is sufficient, and God's Word should be our primary focus. It is our glorious focus a glorious focus upon the Savior, upon our God, upon His truth that is contained in His Word. And certainly when we think of the church of Christ, the focus is to be upon God's Word itself because it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we ought not to allow anything else to take that place. We can bring in illustrations, yes, from this world, from our own lives, But the focus is not to be upon those things. It's to be upon the teaching of Scripture. I want you to note as well that Timothy knew much of Paul and his ministry. 
He knew Paul's doctrine, but now Paul was ending, coming near the end of his life and ministry. He is not merely reminding Timothy of his doctrine, of his teaching. He's not merely telling Timothy about the importance of, say, justification or uh, the importance of inspiration, but rather the foundation of all of these things. All his teaching, all his doctrine has its root and foundation in the Word of God that is sufficient. And we must always keep that in view for the message that we preach is that message that is to be passed down to the next generation. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's speaking to Timothy. Paul is coming to the end of his ministry, the end of his life. Timothy's ministry will continue in the will of God. And Paul is emphasizing to him and to us that Scripture is the great foundation, the sufficient foundation. And therefore, we are to build upon it. And when we think of the next generation, we are to build upon this foundation. That foundation is, as it were, to be passed to them. Scripture contains everything. Robert Rollick said that the Scripture is perfect, containing in it all things necessary for faith and manners, not only sufficiently, but abundantly. Scripture contains everything that is necessary for us and for the evangelism of the world. And therefore, dear believer, we're encouraged that whatever question we face in life, whatever discouragement comes upon us, whatever distress we face, the Word of God is sufficient and abundant in its help for us. It contains everything. Scripture is sufficient, and therefore, let us seek to grow in that same Scripture. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is an encouragement to us to love the Word of God, to grow in the Word of God, to take that which is sufficient and that which is abundant and immerse ourselves in it. Let us love it. Let us desire it. Let us, by God's grace, desire it more and more. Paul said to the church at Colossae, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught. Taught from what? Taught from the Word of God, that sufficient Word. Dear believer, let us be rooted up and built up in Him. Let this doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture affect our lives and affect our growth in the Lord. And there's a great warning as well when we think of these things. A warning for us to build on the Word of God alone. A warning for the church to build on the Word of God alone. Paul said to the church at Corinth, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, 
and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And there are many who seek to build for themselves. They seek to build the church or build their own lives on ideas and notions that they have rather than the living Word of God. We're to build upon Christ. We're to build upon Christ and His Word. When we think of the parable of the rich man and the foolish man, it reminds us the importance of building upon what? And it's not building upon the rock. That's the parable, the metaphor that was used. The wise man built upon the rock. The foolish man built upon the sand. Therefore, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ applies that. And in Matthew 7, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken them unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And then when the storm came, that rock stayed firm. And then he says, And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, in other words, you don't listen. You set them aside. You reject them and neglect them. You'll be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What does the Savior say? Saying here, listen to my words. Hear my words. Believe my words. Do and practice my words. That is what building upon the rock is. Those that do not build upon the sand, and one day there will be that great fall. Dear believer, build upon the rock. Build upon the rock of Christ, the rock of His Word, because it is a sufficient rock. It is all that you and I need. But not only is this an instructive doctrine, it is an encouraging doctrine. An encouraging doctrine. The theologian John Murray said that our dependence upon Scripture is total. Our dependence upon Scripture is total. And how true that is. How true that is. We ought to depend, and we can depend upon Scripture alone. The question that arises from what we have considered together is this. Is this doctrine encouraging to your soul? When you think of Scripture being all-sufficient for your need, because it is the Word of God and because it does have that authority, is it encouraging that God's Word has everything that you need? The Word that you believe upon for salvation is sure and complete. It is enough. The Word that you rest upon for comfort and strength and grace is sufficient and complete and true. In Psalm 119, verse 28, the psalmist said, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. He found strength, he found comfort and help in the word of God because it is sufficient. Dear believer, the word that you seek to live out and proclaim to others is sufficient to make them wise unto salvation. It's sufficient to encourage the Lord's people. Think of Charles Hatton Spurgeon, a young man of 16, who went to church during a snowstorm. He was in England. Going by the description of that day and going through the snowstorm, you'd think he lived in Alberta and not in England. Uh, but he was going through this snowstorm. He didn't make the church that he was planning to attend, and he went into a side church, and uh, he began to warm himself and the preacher mounted the pulpit steps 
was not the pastor, it was not the man who was supposed to be preaching, uh, but rather a man in the congregation, maybe an office spirit, uh, a man who was not a preacher, a man who Spurgeon said was simple, a simple preacher who took that text in Isaiah, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. He took that text. He had no preparation. He was very limited in what he could say, but God used him in spite of himself and in spite of those circumstances. He preached the sufficient Word of God, and God blessed that Word to the saving of Spurgeon's soul. And if you know something of Spurgeon, you don't have to let me tell you that the Lord greatly blessed His ministry in the 1800s and still does today. If I got up or a pastor got up or one of our ministers got up to preach here this morning and they said exactly what that preacher said in that little church, we'd probably think, what has happened? There's nothing there. It's, it's as if you just got up and started talking, and there was nothing planned to be said. There was no prayer. There was very little. But God used it, and God blessed in spite of those circumstances. Oh, how those circumstances, the pastor not arriving, this man getting up to preach, oh, how we would think, well, there's going to be nothing here today. No blessing, nothing, but God blessed because His Word is sufficient. And dear believer, is that an encouragement to you, an encouragement that despite the circumstances we face in life, the Word of God is still sufficient, sufficient to encourage us, sufficient to make wise unto salvation. We'll consider this in a moment, but certainly this account is not as something that we should use to support a lack of preparation and a lack of taking time in the Word of God and a lack of preaching and teaching in depth. Definitely not. There were unique circumstances, adverse circumstances, and God blessed. God blessed. And therefore, when we find discouragement and when we find trouble and when we find hardship, God's Word can be sufficient. Dear believer, there may be opportunities that you have with others, and you're very limited in what you can say to them regarding salvation or encouragement. You may come away thinking that you could have said much more. You could have been better in how you worded that word of encouragement or that word about the gospel. But do seek the help of the Lord and do pray. But yet the Lord can use that word because His word is sufficient. His word is sufficient. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And here the Lord is speaking about the rain that comes down from heaven and waters the earth and returns. He's speaking of what we would have uh, called in uh, geography at school the water cycle. And verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. 
So the word of God that goes forth is not in vain. It shall not return unto him void. It shall accomplish God's purpose. God's sufficient word will accomplish his purpose in his will and by his power. And is that not encouraging to us? We can be downcast. We can be discouraged. But the word of God is sufficient. When we think of that preacher that Spurgeon listened to, certainly we can think he was insufficient for the great task. But yet, if truth be told, we are all insufficient to sign forth the sufficient Word of God. But yet God's grace, God's power is a wonderful thing. Dear believer, whether you work with children, whether you work amongst your own family to sow the seed of the gospel, wherever you can say something for Christ, remember that the Word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. Sufficient to encourage. Sufficient to comfort. Sufficient to bless. Let us nurture ourselves, immerse ourselves, soak ourselves in the sufficient Word of God. Oh, what a blessing. Oh, what a blessing it is. And then fifthly, I want you to see here that it is a rejected doctrine. It is a rejected doctrine. The sufficiency of Scripture by many today has been rejected. In other words, God's Word is not enough. We need something else. We need something alongside. And when we think of the Roman Catholic Church over the years, and when we consider this in our uh, point about the Reformation, and that is true. That is what they did. They added to it. Uh, John MacArthur, and while we can disagree with uh, some of MacArthur's uh, theology, and no doubt he would disagree uh, with some of ours as well, uh, but yet uh, he was one, is one who believes in the sufficiency of Scripture. And he said this. I have quite a lengthy uh, quote here, but I believe it captures the point we wish to get across this morning, that some in the professing church have neglected this doctrine, and sadly some, and shamefully some, are enemies of this doctrine. MacArthur says, when I began a ministry nearly half a century ago, I fully expected that I would need to deal with assaults against Scripture from unbelievers and worldlings. I was prepared for that. Unbelievers, by definition, reject the truth of Scripture and reject its authority. But from the beginning of my ministry until today, I have witnessed and had to deal with weave after weave of attacks against the Word of God coming mostly from within the evangelical community. Over the course of my ministry, virtually all of the most dangerous assaults on Scripture I've seen have come from seminary professors, megachurch pastors, charismatic charlatans on television, popular evangelical authors, Christian psychologists, and bloggers on the evangelical fringe. And he went on to emphasize more of those things. He said, the Bible is treated like silly putty in their hands, pressed and reshaped to suit the shifting interests of popular culture. And of course, how true that is. And we, we can see that as we look across the broad spectrum of evangelicalism. The charismatic church will add to Scripture through extra revelation and prophecies. But God, uh, without going into this in detail at this point in time, we'll come to it uh, eventually. But God has shut the door on extra revelation. His Word is sufficient because it is a closed book. 
It is not to be added to or taken away from. If God gave extra revelation today, then our foundation of Scripture cannot be sufficient because God is still adding new revelation. It is therefore then ever-flowing, a continuous, never-ending river. But in reality, all of God's revelation flowed like a river into the reservoir of Scripture. When the last drop went in, as it were, the river was dammed and sealed. And the great reservoir that remains is what we have as the Word of God. Perhaps not a perfect illustration, a metaphor, but you get the idea, I hope. It's a relevant issue today, and we'll come back to it on another occasion. But I think we'll stick with what MacArthur says and press that home, that there are those within the church and Scripture is not sufficient. They add to it. They take away from it. They come to various doctrines they do not like, and they seek to twist them and corrupt them or reject them altogether. This doctrine or that doctrine was for the first century. It was a doctrine that, well, for the 21st century is not relevant. But yet the Bible in its 66 books is all sufficient for our salvation and spiritual growth. It's not merely the charismatic church that has rejected this doctrine, but any church that has moved away from the teaching of Scripture on biblical and theological doctrines. When we consider morals, oh, how many professing churches endorse uh, the agenda of the LGBT movement. Back in Northern Ireland over the last number of years, there's a move within the Presbyterian Church of Ireland, a church that in 1951 uh, our denomination in Northern Ireland broke away from, formed the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster that uh, then in later years uh, moved across to North America, and there is now the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. Seventy years of history summed into a little uh, brief sentence there. But the Presbyterian Church is a church that has many problems, a church that does have some good men, and certainly some that are opposite. But they began to reiterate the biblical stand regarding LGBT and all that is contained within that. In other words, Scripture is sufficient, they said, when it states marriage is between one man and one woman. They took an action at that time, around 2017, 2018, with a new policy or re-emphasizing the policy, preventing those who were in a same-sex relationship from being members of the church. One minister in support of this stated that what we are saying is that to live in a same-sex relationship does not cohere with the teaching of Christ with regard to marriage and sexuality. He said, we believe that marriage is much more than just about love. There is a whole structure, there is a whole purpose that has to do with family and the will of God. However, some ministers and elders publicly criticized this stand. Some high-profile elders resigned in protest. A protest protesting against reaffirming what the Bible teaches. One individual was a well-known politician in Northern Ireland who was also an elder. He resigned and he said uh, that he is concerned about the church's decision with these things, but also to loosen ties with the Church of Scotland because this church, the Church of Scotland, a Presbyterian church, supports same-sex relationships. And so we have just a little snapshot of 
events that take place within the professing church of Christ where the sufficiency of Scripture and even the authority of Scripture on those matters has been set aside by some. So therefore, when we consider this rejection, holding to the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is a witness to those who have set it aside. We don't merely stand for truth by going out and protesting and writing all manner of rebukes to others publicly, but we stand for truth also by believing that truth, living that truth, practicing that truth. Dear believers, stand against this tide that is against Scripture being sufficient and filled with the authority of God and relevant for today by living out that truth yourself, believing that truth yourself, not setting it aside, practicing it. And then finally, and very quickly, it is an abused doctrine, an abused doctrine. As those who believe in the doctrines of grace, it is encouraging for us to know that God is one who calls sinners to Himself in salvation. However, this doctrine can be abused by those of a hyper-Calvinist persuasion. This doctrine is taken so far that there is a neglect of gospel preaching because God has elected His own people, and they will be saved no matter what. Therefore, the emphasis then on preaching is not evangelism. Rather, it is the teaching and instruction of believers. And there's a similar thought in the abuse of the sufficiency of Scripture. Because Scripture is sufficient, because it is abundant, and because it is such a blessing to us, we can spend less time in it. We can spend less time learning Scripture, less time studying Scripture, because the little we have is enough. In other words, we don't need the quantity of time of study, but rather the little quality of what we do have, because it is sufficient and it is abundant. Certainly, over the years, I've seen this thought, because the Word of God is sufficient, well, we just need a little to keep us going. But as we said earlier, regarding this being an encouraging doctrine, the sufficiency of Scripture should drive us into the Word of God. It should motivate us to be found within Scripture, learning it, listening to it, hearing it preached, rather than just having a little bit now and again. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the verse 15. Paul is again speaking to Timothy, and what does he say here? Verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth of the word of truth. Study. Why are we to study? To show approval unto God. And yes, this is in the context of the ministry, but yet as believers, we are to study the Word of God. We are to read the Word of God, to be approved on to God, to know His truth, to be able to rightly divide His truth or rightly understand His truth. You may ask the question, well, how can this doctrine be abused? Well, simply by not taking the study of Scripture seriously enough. Yes, we'll say we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe God's Word is enough. 
we believe it contains all that we need. Therefore, that should drive us to know the Word and know all those things that we need. This doctrine can be abused in not taking the Word seriously enough, the work of the ministry seriously enough, and resting upon the sufficiency of Scripture at the expense of learning more and studying more and preparing more, in thinking that the little we know is sufficient because Scripture is sufficient, and because study is hard and study is difficult, then the little we know is enough. Scripture is sufficient. All we need to do is eat, drink, proclaim that little bit, sleep, eat, drink, proclaim that little bit again and again and again. But we must be constantly growing in grace. Scripture is sufficient, all of it. We need to know all of it. We need to be immersed in all of it. This doctrine can be abused as well by those who will say, well, the only book you need is the Word of God. And of course, there is a truth to that. The only book we need is the Word of God. Uh, but I have heard people say to me, the only book you need is Scripture. You don't need books. There was one uh, person said that to me one time. He was older than me, and he said, the only book you need is, is the Bible. He's a pastor now, and I think he relies on a few uh, more books that explain the Bible to him and teach the Bible to him. Uh, and certainly, I think he's come to understand uh, the silliness of what was said. The Word of God is our primary source of truth, but yet there are other books that refer to the Word of God and teach us the Word of God, a bit like when we think of a sermon. A sermon explains the Word of God to us. A sermon applies the Word of God to us. And when we come to read uh, books, really we're reading written sermons. Written sermons. My uh, library at home contains, I think, uh, the vast majority of books would be sermons or sermons that have been uh, prepared uh, for print. Uh, one person said to me one time uh, that I was reading too much. And I said in response, well, why do you go to church so much? Shouldn't you skip a few services? Shouldn't you take it easy and relax instead? And they were absolutely shocked that their pastor would tell them not to go to church. And I said, well, you just suggested the same to me. Every time I go to church, I'm the one preaching. But I need my heart blessed. I need my heart filled. I need my heart fed by the Word of God. And I am not able to attend all the meetings everyone else attends because I'm the preacher. So therefore, my reading, my studying, the sermons I listen to are, are books. Are books. One person said to me again, why are you spending all this time on study? Just get up and preach. Without study, without preparation, without anything. And this person was a mature believer. A mature believer who'd listened probably to more sermons at that point uh, than I'd ever heard or I may ever preach. Just get up. But yet when they preached, they had fully prepared 
we can rest upon this doctrine at the expense of our necessary study and our necessary learning, our necessary study to grow in the things of God. When we think of Spurgeon and that illustration we used, it is an encouragement to us that in circumstances like that, God blesses. There are circumstances where I've had to preach with no preparation, a couple of words written on a napkin, a couple of words written on a bookmark because of the circumstances. But yet, God has blessed. But when we have that time to study the Word of God, when we have that time to be found in the Word of God, to study, to witness to others in general, whatever it might be, let us take that time. Let us immerse ourselves in the sufficient Word of God. Let us not use that doctrine as an excuse to be lazy or to set aside Scripture because the little we know is enough. Let us always be found within it. A wise use of our time. A wise use of our time. There's a hymn was written by a man called Edward Hodder. I came across this while I was studying for this message. I think you'll prefer if I read it rather than sing it. Uh, but he says this, Thy word is like a garden, Lord, with flowers bright and fur, and everyone who seeks may pluck a lovely cluster there. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine, and jewels rich and rare are hidden in its mighty depths for every searcher there. And then he says, Oh, may I love thy precious word. May I explore the mine. May I its fragrant flowers glean. May light upon, may light upon me shine. Oh, may I find my armor there. Thy word, my trusty sword. I'll learn to fight with every foe the battle of the Lord. God's word is sufficient for all these things. May we love it. May we desire it. May we be found within it. And may the Lord bless his word this morning to our hearts. May we apply that great doctrine of the sufficiency of the word to our minds, to our hearts, to every aspect of our lives. Amen. And let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word, for Thy truth. We pray, Father, that Thou would apply it to our hearts. We ask Thee that this doctrine would be an encouragement to us. It would be instructive to us. That we would not reject it. That we would not abuse it. But, Father, may it motivate us to be found constantly within Thy Word. Studying the blessed truths and doctrines of Scripture we may grow closer to Thee day by day. Father, we pray that Thou would bless us here and part us now from this meeting with Thy presence and Thy blessing. And as we come to worship Thee in a few moments' time, Father, bless Thy Word, bless Thy servant who will preach Thy Word. And may Thy Word not return unto Thee void, but may it accomplish Thy purpose in our hearts this day. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.